1976. It's December 22nd. A movie has hit theaters. It's called The Enforcer. It stars Clint Eastwood. And it's, it's the third installment in the Dirty Harry franchise. And we are here as the Macabre Podcast Universe to exist. To prove people wrong <laughs> when they say the simple <laughs> sentence, sequels are never better than the originals. We are here and we are talking about movies once again. It is July, you sons of bitches. <laughs> <laughs> we now have a child. It's true. And, and guess what else? We're talking about this movie. Uh, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Macaw Podcast Universe. My name is Micah Macaw. My name's Jordan Macaw. Yeah, and we already gave you the tagline. And we're talking about Clint Eastwood. We're talking about Dirty Harry. And we're talking about a movie and a movie series that I'm having the darndest time trying to figure out the titles of these movies. Yeah, I'm not going to have them figured out by the end of this. Because a part of something I've I've found is whenever we cover a series with particularly complicated titles, for example, Fast and Furious, Star Wars was easy because I grew up obsessed with them, so that was easy. But Fast and Furious, like they have crazy titles. But by the time we finish recording it, I could I could list those things off in like half a minute. Absolutely. For Fast and Furious. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, uh oh. oh. Well, I'm trying to yeah. I get confused about one and If it's four. the Fast and the Furious or Fast and Furious. I think it's the Fast and the Furious, Too Fast, Too Furious, Fast and Furious, uh, Tokyo Drift, The Fast and the Furious, Fast Five, uh, f- um, uh, uh, The Fast and the Furious Six. Okay, actually, I am getting confused. Furious Seven. seven. Um, the Fate of the Furious, Fast and Fur- Furious Presents, Hobbs and Shaw. F9 Fast X. Uh, I'm pretty sure I got that. Hmm. Um, but it, it becomes much easier. But this series, these are like generic, uh, uh, like Titles. the last 20 years of like Bruce um, Willis. Bruce Willis's like movies where you see them on the red box and Bruce you're like. Bruce Willis, really? Is that who you're going with? Yeah, when you see like his things and it's okay. like The Initiator and you're like, okay, that's another movie he did. I don't know what that is. <laughs> Never heard of it. Don't have any. I think I- Liam Neeson has more. Liam Neeson, yeah, yeah. He made B action movies. Uh, pretend that they were A action movies yeah. for a, a decade. There probably started with Taken, right? Oh, absolutely. Taken yeah. is when he has like a revitalization and is like, yeah, like a dumb action movie thing can be a huge hit. Uh-huh. Um, not that I'm saying Taken is dumb, but. Um, I would be very curious to watch because I feel like it probably doesn't hold up that well. Don't sneeze in the mic. Oh, bless you. <laughs> and that brings up something else. <laughs> we are doing a fan favorite kind of episode. I'm sick again. <laughs> <laughs> and it is when we're covering a series, Jordan's sick and I'm healthy as can be. It's almost inevitable that it happens every series. I get sick so often. I've had a pretty good track record lately. Uh, yeah. Well, my theory is because because I've been taking supplements. Yeah, for the for baby. Um, and I should probably just continue that after the baby. Is <laughs> you born. probably should. It's it hasn't really uh, been hard to afford the extra supplements, so why not? <laughs> uh, <Whoops>, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so we covered the first Dirty Harry, which is called Dirty Harry. Great, easy. The second one is called Magnum Force. Magnum Force. I forgot already, and I'm I'm very I pride myself in being very good at this kind of thing. The third one is called 
the Enforcer, it's and that's just, what we're covering today. From what I've been able to tell, none of the titles are specific to the movie because at the end of the day, it's all a cop thing. So it's just like you could have yeah. called the second or the fifth movie the Enforcer, uh huh, or Magnum Force, and it probably would have been fine. Yeah, and and I, I don't know what would be a better title for these movies. Oh, but I don't know. Like it almost it almost because be, they're kind of pulpy. You know, it's just yeah. like it's just slaps something that sounds good on there. Maybe like Dirty Harry 2, The Rookies. Yep. But then well, that kind of gives away your twist. Dirty Harry 3, The P- People's Liberation Front Army. Yeah. Dirty Harry 4. Man, I he's read about the High Five murders. Oh, yeah. Because they, they referenced... Uh, you, we talked about them in the, the last episode. Okay. And they took inspiration from Dirty from Magnum Force because the guy used Drano to kill... Right. Yes. Yes. Thank you. That was pretty sad to read about. Yeah. Not good. Really, really bad stuff. Well, I mean, I'm assuming it's murder. It's not good, but. But like really torture bad. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, man. My ear is ringing really bad right now all of a sudden. <sighs> Just let it pass. It's almost gone. It's gone. Okay. Um. Now from murder to back to the movies. <laughs> um. Here's another thing that's fun. Peek behind the curtain. You know, we've been recording these way in advance. And I knew with this series, I had a feeling on what it was going to become, which is kind of hard to watch quickly. And so we have been recording. We did like, we we finished the X-Men movies. No, we, we did a Dirty Harry. Then we did like two more X-Men movies. Yep. And then, and then we did, uh, Zodiac, yep. and then we did Dirty Harry 2, and then we did 21 Jump Street, and then we did Dirty Harry 3. And that's kind of the way to do it. So if you're listening to all of our Patreon episodes as well, you can see how we recorded this all in a very strange order. Mm-hmm. And it's still secret, folks. I have scheduled the rest of our maternity leave. I've scheduled all of the episodes, and Jordan doesn't know what any of them are. And in a couple of weeks, she's finally going to find out what series we're covering next and it's a doozy it's fun and kind of outside of our purview good not something we've really done before good quite different um okay so let's talk about this movie right yeah it is directed well, by what's your experience with it blah 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 yeah well uh yeah i watched it the <laughs> other night <laughs> yeah, yeah so this was my first first time too i watched it then we went and we saw super mario brothers movie and then the next night no, we, we watched saw it after Super Mario Brothers movie. We did. Yep. Oh, okay. Because I'm a Super Mario Brothers movie at 4:30 p.m. Went over and hung out with the niece and nephew for a little bit. Came home, made dinner, watched some Enforcer. Watched the Enforcer. In now, case people are interested. And I want to say for the record, and I, you know, we can talk about it if you want, or we can just wait until there's inevitably three Super Mario Brothers movies. But uh, made fun of Chris Pratt as casting thought it was weird i watched the movie i'm gonna take back what i said i think he did a great job and i i liked what he did in the movie i disagree and that's okay yeah i i just could never get over it that they could have gotten anybody else yeah who i think would have done a better job not to say that he was terrible i just i couldn't get over it yeah i i and um seth rogan was very strange (laughs) Yeah. I, it was fun. It was a fun yeah. time, but um, <laughs> he, just, he just did it. <laughs> it was just so weird. 
but um, Fred Armisen like straight up crazy voice yeah. acting, and they had Keegan a lot Michael of, Key. They did too. have a lot of good um, voice actors. When I started yeah. looking through the cast, I was like, "Oh my gosh, my throat's on fire from doing the Seth Rogen laugh." So was his. Um, but uh, yeah. Anyway, I thought the it movie was a was fun movie, a heck of a fun time. Yeah, and I thought Chris Pratt. Was I good saw in something, it. and I haven't, lo- I haven't like clicked on the article because I don't care. No, please but, don't. Um, I, I th- that Bowser song is eligible for an Oscar. Oh yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that was great. Yeah, yeah. Jack Black wins MVP for the movie. Absolutely. Of course. Now another thing I'll say, in case you missed it, the next day we went and saw Dungeons and Dragons: Honor Among Thieves. Mm-hmm. Guys, the movie is awesome, and you gotta watch it. It's great. Yep. And uh, let's side note here. It feels like this year, and maybe maybe we'll be eating our words because now, by the time this has come out, Guardians will have come out, and um, Flash, but it feels like the landscape of blockbusters is expanding, and and it's not like oh, if you just throw a cape on something, we're happy, and it'll make you know five hundred million dollars. And Honor Among Thieves, and it it just was like oh yeah, blockbusters can be like this mm-hmm. because it w- it didn't have the Marvel thing where like every single character thinks that everything is stupid. Uh, it had no characters that were like that. Uh-huh. There was just Chris Pine who was sardonic, but he still believed in the world he was living in. He's also a bard. Like, it all made sense. Yeah. Um, it was excellent, and it was so much fun, like, from minute one to the last minute. Yeah. Uh, if you didn't catch it in theaters, you really should rent it. If you enjoy fantasy. If you don't like fantasy, you won't like the movie. But it's a great fantasy movie, and if you like having fun and you're tired of... uh movies that are like hey deadpool makes fun of everything we should do that too this had like actual humor that was motivated by characters and story instead of just mm-hmm. well it's also not your run of the mill fantasy so if you're a fantasy of yeah. verse i think you'd still have a fun time yeah because the it story's was, that good it was really fun um i think it i think it popped up to like my second favorite of the year cool gonna be tough to dethrone john wick chapter four our longest episode of this podcast um but we'll see. Now that we have a child, we don't go to the movies anymore. So they say. So they say, but we're, d- hey, you know, you know how much my mom is going to steal our baby away. So we'll probably be able to go to the movies anytime <laughs> we want. Let's talk about who directed this movie. His name is James Fargo. And uh, he was the assistant director on a little TV movie called Duel, directed by Steven Spielberg. Mm. A movie you still have not watched, nope. which we still need to watch. Why? Uh, because it's awesome. Okay. Have have we? Is it the plane one? No, no. This oh. is this is. There's a man who's driving, and then he just sees a semi truck in the background, and he the semi truck just chases him, and he has no idea why. Cool. And that's the whole movie. Cool. And it is it is just an excellent movie. I uh I remember we were in a hotel like on a vacation or something, and it was on. Uh huh. And my dad just switched it to the channel. It was like midway through. And even as a kid, I was immediately like absolutely enthralled with the movie uh-huh. where I was like, what is going on? And and it was this terrorizing fear. We're like, what if you were just driving? And if I remember right, the movie doesn't like reveal like, oh, this person knew someone. It's like, you never know why this guy chased him. Now imagine that story. Yeah. But there is no one driving the semi truck. And they're just trying to get people. 
Okay. And they're, they're stalking people and trying to kill them. What? Who do you feel like would write something like that? Uh, what? Stephen King. Maximum overdrive. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did <laughs> not know you were really going. Um, but Stephen King directed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that was the cocaine era. Yeah, that that was uh, probably the same around the same time he wrote Dreamcatchers. Yeah. Uh, actually, no. I think I wasn't Dreamcatchers like in his like pills from being hit by the car era which would have been like the early 2000s. Well, that's the movie, but I don't know about the book. I don't okay. know. I haven't read that book yet. I've kind of been like kind of saving it. Yeah, because I think the 80s is the cocaine <laughs> period where he's just churning out material. And then I think Dream I think Dreamcatchers is the book that he wrote when he like had just got done, like had got hit by the car and then he got addicted to painkillers. Yeah, it's 2001. Yeah, and and he, I think he's even said like he didn't even realize what he wrote afterward. Uh huh. Uh huh. Um, we love Stephen King. Um, okay, but Duel rules. We have to watch it. We have it on Blu-ray. It's only like an hour. I mean, it's so short mm-hmm. because it's a TV movie puts Steven Spielberg on the map. It's kind this of a guy masterpiece. Was the second unit. He was the the second assistant director. Assistant director. So he did that, and then he will also go on to make Every Which Way But Loose, which is a Clint Eastwood movie where he has a monkey. And they made a, a sequel, what? so there's two movies where Clint Eastwood has a monkey. on the Patreon? And what kind of monkey, please? I think it's an orangutan. What? I think so. Yeah. That's a big monkey. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's called what? Every Which Way But Loose. That's what it's called. <laughs> yeah, it has a monkey in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let me let me look at it. Let's look at the plot because I've never. Every which way but loose. I've never uh, watched it. Every which way but loose. Nineteen seventy eight. So that's two years after this. Um, the San Fernando Valley Adventures of Trucker Turned Prize Fighter Philo Beto and his pet orangutan Clyde. Isn't it orangutan? Well, there's no G. Is there a difference? So here's a. Here's the poster. <laughs> um, Clint Eastwood Why are will we not turn covering you, that. Clint Eastwood will turn you every which way, but, but loose. loose. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's followed by. So any, he's a guy who happens to have a pet orangutan. Well, I don't know, uh, but any which way you can is the sequel. Unbelievable. And this is uh, here's the plot of this one: a trucker turned prize fighter, his brother, and their pet orangutan have a series of misadventures involving the mob, corrupt cops, motorcycle gangs, and pretty dames. None of that has anything to do with a freaking monkey. No. That someone uh, seriously, seriously, someone wrote the script of the first one, and uh-huh. it was stra- it was just a straight shot of what you explained. Uh huh. And the and studios were like, yeah, but like people are really into animals in movies right now. Uh-huh. What animal can like what is available? <laughs> and someone just is like, well, an orangutan's my favorite animal. Yeah, put it in the movie. Uh huh. Okay. So, yeah, we're we're gonna be the people who made this movie all have kind of wild careers. Okay. So he kind of does that. So I would say that's like the under the radar but B movie zone is James Fargo. So then the screenplay is by uh, two people. It's by uh, Sterling Siliphant and Dean Reisner. Now, Dean Reisner we talked about because he wrote Dirty Harry okay. and Play Misty for Me and did an early draft on Godfather 3. 
uh, which I don't think I said in our Dirty Harry episode. But Sterling Siliphant is kind of has like one of the craziest careers you could have. He wrote the Oscar-winning screenplay for In the Heat of the Night, the Sidney Lumet movie. Uh-huh. Not Lumet. I'm sorry, the Sidney um, Poitier movie. Okay. Um, he created Perry Mason. Oh, shoot. He did the original <laughs> Village of the Damned from ni- the 1950s. Um, what is that? Well, John Carpenter made this uh, uh, a remake of that movie. It's yeah, where all the, the kids, kids... The kids, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, he did... And I feel like this is this is Sylvester Stallone's Any Which Way But Loose. He did... What animal? He did Over the Top. Okay, but there's an animal in it? No animal, but oh, this is the arm guess. wrestling movie. Oh. Did you know that there is an I've arm heard, wrestling heard of such Sylvester Stallone movie? Yeah. Um, And he's it also... Like it needs an animal. <laughs> yeah. What would be the animal to have in your arm wrestling movie? I feel like he could have a snake. Like, it just hangs mm-hmm. out on his shoulders, like part of the audience watching the yeah. arm wrestling um i'm thinking a baby think... giraffe that oh, okay. sticks its head above the table and kind of nods back and forth with the with the you know you know when when like one person's winning the arm wrestling it turns its head and then when the other one starts winning it turns its head the other way that's very specific <laughs> a little too specific to be honest I don't know. It seems like it's loose. Well, actually, it's any which way but loose. <laughs> <laughs> any which way you can. Um, yeah, and uh, this guy, Sterling, he's all, he was also a close friend of Bruce Lee, which I just wanted to oh, point out as that was there. Uh, the story is by two people. It's by Gail Morgan Hickman and S.W. Schur. Now, S.W. Schur has one credit, and that is this movie. Uh, Gail Morgan Hickman... Did, of course, the classic Death Wish for The Crackdown, and, of course, Number One with a Bullet. Two things I've never heard of. Oh, that's a movie name. Yep. Okay. Uh, which, yeah. Uh, cinematography is by Charles W. Short, who did a lot of TV. Okay. Uh, one of which was an episode of The Incredible Hulk. Okay. And then 22 episodes of a show called Seinfeld. Okay. So he's an American classic. <laughs> yep. Now... Let's talk about the composer of this movie because this I found to be the most interesting thing about the movie. Okay. New composer, composer guys. New composer. Very much more jazzy score. Yes. And in some ways, much more Hitchcocky, which I found out makes oh. a lot of sense. Okay. Jerry Fielding, I'm going to just kind of read this. Now, I, I, I kind of looked this up. This is on Wikipedia and it does need citations, but I looked around a little bit and I, I think I can assume that this is correct because i looked at some other sources uh jerry fielding was an american jazz musician arranger band leader and film composer who emerged in the 1960s after a decade on the blacklist whoa to create boldly diverse and evocative oscar nominated scores primarily for gritty often brutally savage films in western and crime action genres including uh the wild bunch and straw dogs now here's here's what was interesting Though never a communist, Fielding was called before the House Un-American Activities Committee Committee in December 1953 during the anti-communist hysteria, particularly in Congress and the FBI, who were in the throes of punishing the many talented FDR supporters in entertainment who had helped to defeat isolationism before Pearl Harbor. This was done by smearing them with innuendo and charges of communism. Fielding's sin appeared to be his radio union membership, which was obligatory for all nationally broadcast radio performers, which was in turn one of a dozen or more unions in the Hollywood Writers Mobilization, which was founded in 1941 to promote show 
business efforts against Nazism and in support of the American war effort. And he was part of that. Yep. Okay. However, Fielding later joked that all the committee really wanted was to get him to name Groucho Marx as a communist, which he refused to do. He also believed he was being singled out for his integrated bands, using African-American jazz performers in his radio and television music, which was carried live at the time. All integration and Whoa. E- <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. All integration and equal rights to black performers were deeply offensive to some HUAC members and a field head, uh, J. Edgar Hoover, a notorious sucker. Um, is that what, is that from the quote or is that what you're saying? That's, that's what I'm adding. J. Edgar Hoover sucks. Uh, I, I'm not afraid to say that. Uh, Fielding. Oh, you're so brave. (laughs) Fielding took the fifth amendment, refusing to divulge to the name of any colleagues who might be suspected of communism, doing so knowing that pleading the fifth would damage his thriving radio and television career as it did. He was blacklisted by the national television and radio networks who were being pressed by the, the same forces with a similar fate if they failed to cooperate. The blacklist destroyed Fielding's embryonic career as an on-screen television host, but the talented musician survived what would be a decade-long exile from broadcasting by returning to his live performing and recording career, both as a featured artist and freelance arranger. In Las Vegas, Nevada, he led a band at the Royal Las Vegas Hotel. In addition, he toured for the only time with his name orchestra, which also released several albums during this period. Uh, here's the list of the albums. His jazz and pop background allowed him to survive while the blacklist destroyed the concert and film-based careers of musicians such as Schoenberg, champion and film composer Louis Grunberg, and his first black Broadway and film star Paul Robeson. And he didn't begin composing for movies until 1962. Wow. Because of this blacklist. Uh, and then he goes on to do a ton of movies and a ton of TV. Okay. Um. And and he got Oscar nominations and stuff like that. Yeah. And this led me to think the blacklist is so interesting. Uh-huh. And I actually don't know that much about it. I just know it happened, and I know that uh, America's favorite coward, John Wayne, testified against a bunch of people because uh-huh. he didn't think they were American enough, and that's why I have a hard time liking John Wayne. Uh-huh. Um, so uh, I think someday we should do an episode – on the blacklist, I know it would be like totally oh, outside you mean the James of our Spader vehicle show. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Because <laughs> I've—I mean, not a bad show, just not really my thing. Oh my gosh, Jordan. <laughs> that's so funny. Um, n- <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, uh, but I think it would be uh, fun to do an episode. Yeah. I think it could be a main feed, just a random Whoa. break in the thing. Where you want to add another episode to everything that's happening? No, but this would be like, it, on that Friday, we're just doing a historical look back on what is the blacklist. Sure. And talk about it and go through I bet there's that. like there's like the book on it. Yeah, and I, I bet I there's would love some, to read. probably some good documentaries about it yeah. as well. Um, so I'm just putting that on the docket. Um, I think that would be fun to do. Because I also just want to learn more about it. Mm-hmm. But when we have to watch so many movies and stuff, sometimes it's like, I can't add another thing. Uh-huh. So if we made it a podcast, then I could. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So That's very interesting. Yeah. Um, and it, it does make you wonder how many, for the, that decade or decade or more, like how many great uh, artists did we lose to that mm-hmm. because of people uh, sucking? You know, uh-huh. like famous soccer, J. Edgar Hoover. Um, <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> I'm realizing now there's a double entendre, yeah, especially yeah, yeah, when yeah, you talk yeah. about J. Edgar Hoover. And I'm just referring to he sucks as a person. He yeah. sucked as a person. Uh, but Clint Eastwood would make a movie about him starring Leo DiCaprio. Yep. Um, and I, I Not a great movie. I told you about that story, right? I don't remember. So there was someone that we had known from high school who died. Uh, and that movie came out like the weekend that she died. And, you know, so you it was watch that. Well, it was it was during movie? during Thanksgiving. And my dad and I really wanted to see it. And we would always go see a movie during yeah. Thanksgiving. And so it was like, oh, let's go see J. Edgar. But it was kind of things felt pretty heavy. Yeah. And so we I think we headed to the theater and we were like, oh, the Muppet movie's playing. Oh, yeah. Let's go see the Muppet movie. And we saw the Muppet movie instead. Very, I think. The better choice. It was. Considering the circumstances. And yeah, I mean, I, I watched J. Edgar later. I, I didn't really pay it. Like, I was practicing guitar when I yeah. watched it. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is fine. Yeah. But famously, it sucks. Yeah. Apparently. Um, I don't remember too much from it either. Just like, yeah, it's a movie that happened. Yeah, that was when I was attempting to watch all the Leo movies. Yeah. Um, but I kind of stopped doing that. I did. I do remember not knowing any. And I still don't know much about J. Edgar Hoover. Uh-huh. Apparently he's a big sucker. Um, but, <laughs> um, I, I didn't know like anything about him. Yeah. So that scene when he kisses that guy. Army Hammer, you mean? No way. Really? Yes. yes. But I was just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What are, what's going on? <laughs> right. You're like, what, what are they saying here? It's almost like maybe up until that point in the movie, I was pretty bored and it's like, okay, what's <laughs> happening here? <laughs> Uh, well, that's a, you know, it's a Clint Eastwood movie, so it's probably one of those where, like, they could have done maybe a couple extra takes <laughs> to yeah. make a better movie. Uh, anyway, I already said which year this came out, what day on my birthday, uh, and it had a $9 million budget. We're back to the Enforcer now, folks, and it made $46 million. That's a hit. It's How so could it not be if you sp- only spend $9 million? I know. I'm looking at this, and I'm like, remember when they, they used to do that? running through San Francisco for, like, 15 minutes? I know. And I know with like inflation, I mean it's it'd probably be maybe thirty, I would think. Yeah. Like three times as much basically. But even still thirty million and then if you times forty six that it'd still be like hundred and fifty million dollars. Yeah. Would that's be made. a lot of money. Yeah. You're a big profit. It's so weird that that so many studios haven't figured that out. Like I don't know. just lower the budgets and you can make more money. I don't know. Especially when you're, you know, Two hundred million dollar movie doesn't look as good as a movie that's that this thirty movie? million dollars or so, or this movie, yeah. yeah. Um, so, Gail, uh, the the writer of this movie, um, Gail Morgan Hickman and S. W. Sure were San Francisco film students. Okay, they saw the first movie, and they were like, "Let's write a Dirty Harry movie," just like that, just on spec. <laughs> so they started writing it. And they were inspired. And their wildest dreams came true. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's here's what happened. So they were inspired by the Patty Hearst kidnapping, which I don't get that. You're gonna talk about. Yeah. Um. But after they finished the screenplay, Hickman went to Eastwood's uh, Carmel restaurant. It's called Carmel. Oh, okay. Um. Or oh wait. It went to Eastwood's Carmel Restaurant. Well, now I'm looking it up. The Hog's Breath Inn is what it's called. I think I put a misspelling in here. 
I'm, I'm googling exactly that though. Okay, Google. Is it caramel? Is C A R M E L? Uh, caramel restaurant. That that can't be right. Hold on. Okay. Um. It just uh, I mean, it came. It brought up Hog's Breath Inn. Hangout known for Clint Eastwood inspired de- decor dishes. Okay, wait. Hangout known for Clint Eastwood inspired decor dishes up American food and cocktails. Okay, so here's what this says. It says that they went to Eastwood's restaurant, the Hog's Breath Inn. It looks good, by yeah. the way. And they approach Eastwood's business partner, partner Paul Lipman. And they asked if he would give their script to Eastwood. Just like that? That, okay, wait. Okay, so go ahead. So go ahead. Lipman was hesitant, but okay. then he finally agreed. And then Eastwood read it, and he liked the concept. It, it's stories like this. It's stories like this. When th- that is because if you're a creative person and your family or your parents say, why don't you just do this? Yeah. Why don't you just take your thing that you've been working on, take it to this random man at this restaurant who owes you nothing, uh-huh, uh-huh. and give it to him to give it to the other person, and it'll work. Right, right, right. It's, and so, it's so frustrating. It, it is frustrating. It's like, you know, I don't get this anymore, thank goodness. Um, maybe because people don't like my voice, uh, but <laughs> I'm kidding. But but My family's even asked me about this about you. Yeah, but I... I just throughout my life, I'd get so many people who'd be like, why don't you go to American Idol about being a musician? Or why don't you do America's Got Talent? And I'm like, I I mean, I don't want to do that. Like, that's not the career I'm interested in building. And, and, and part of it is like, I don't know, I don't have like a gimmick. I'm just trying to write good music. That's And that's not good enough for something like that. You have to have like a gimmick or a story. And a lot of times it's fabricated stuff uh-huh. anyway. So uh-huh. it's like, I don't want to be associated with that. I don't want to like make up a story about uh-huh. how, you know, I had a brother that died or something that, you know, uh-huh. and I mean, some of that stuff is true, but, but I've heard of people who've been involved and gotten to and a they certain tweak level their stories and, to make them sound better for TV. Yeah. Um, so it's like, I don't want to do that. And, and I also, I also don't think as an artist, like jumping into fame without building up to it is healthy. Those people like almost always burn out. Yeah, mo- most winners of American Idol, it's always like whoever gets runner up is more famous. Yeah, is more well known. Yeah, most of the time. Yeah, um, and anyway, so but this one is is it's just funny. I think it's also a different time. Yeah, but having said that, there's a great show on Peacock, uh, for those, and and it's worth getting like a free trial and just binge it really fast. It's called Paul T. Goodman. Now this is this man who claims to have this it's a documentary by the way documentary but like like if you like nathan for you or the rehearsal like you gotta watch this so it's this man who seems a bit strange and he he claims that his wife had was a prostitute that he didn't know and she was sleeping with like everyone all over the town and was like involved in the mob and stuff all under his nose so he says all that, um, and then he publishes a book, self-publishes. He's able to kind of game the system and make it like a bestseller. At one point, you remember that? Mm-hmm. 
And then by like spamming people by spamming people. And then he goes on Twitter and he basically tweets like every director Mm -hmm. he can find and just says like, this would make a great movie. This would make a great movie. This would make a great movie. And eventually the director of Borat two, Justin Wolliner. Yeah. He sees the tweet and he decides to like check out this book and he then proceeds to make this documentary pseudo like creating the movie weird story into a show that become that premieres on Peacock that is wild. And one of the best shows of last year uh-huh. that is absolutely must see TV. Um, and it was just like, it, it was one of those things where watching it as a artist, you were like, he did like he, as much as this guy did it in the wrong ways, he achieved like his artistic dream mm-hmm. by spamming people. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen anymore. No. They did all that and and Eastwood is like, yeah, I like the concept. The script needs work. Um but he he thought that it was interesting all of the black militant stuff that was kind of loosely based on the Black Panther party. He was attracted to that element of the movie. Okay. Oh, <laughs> with those other guys. Yeah. Okay. Um and then so remember I told you about the writer Sterling who had this great illustrious career. Uh-huh. We have him to blame for the woman storyline in this movie. Okay. The cop. Oh, okay. He added that element into the script. Thank you. But then Eastwood liked the woman part, but he thought there wasn't enough action, so he had him kind of cut it down, and then that script also didn't pass his liking, so he had Dean Reisner come in to punch it up. So we also have Clint Eastwood to blame for how poorly the woman was written in this. But it was also very fascinating. It was. Well, and Tim Daly, uh, who plays the yeah. inspector, she was she was turned down the role three times because Whoa. she was like, I don't think I want to do this. And that was because of how her character was treated. She wasn't sure. She eventually does it. It's said that she was kind of given like a lot of uh like uh, uh, input, but I don't know. It doesn't seem like a woman's point of view was given much input in this movie. Would you say that, Jordan? Oh, I just can't quite understand what they were trying to get across at the end of the day. <laughs> no. Um, and then initially, Eastwood was going to direct, but he was working on Outlaw Josie Wales, and he replaced the director of that movie, Philip Kaufman. So he couldn't direct this one, and this is the directorial the, the the directorial debut of James uh, Fargo. Fargo. And those are the notes on The Enforcer. So what is the Patty Hearst situation? I don't understand it. I, I, I obviously, like, I'm assuming the script just changed so much. Well, what can you tell me what happened with the Patty Hearst thing? Yeah, she um, is the granddaughter of American publishing magnate William Randolph Hearst, which is, like, one of oh, the yeah. biggest... most. Uh, it's like a succession family. That's, the, that's what Citizen Kane is... Yeah, yeah. Like, so they're like the wealthiest people. They have huge yeah. political power. Um, interestingly, though, um, she has other siblings too. And like growing up, like her parents didn't actually feel like there was a need to like protect them, you know, like security and stuff, just despite them oh, being okay. so wealthy. So like um, she, she is kidnapped in um, 1974. Um, by the Symbionese Liberation Army, and she's kidnapped. Um, she's in college at the time, and it's almost like 
it was like not coincidence like they planned it yeah but she was where she was living she was going to berkeley i think it was berkeley um living with her fiance it's in california yeah (laughs) and she (laughs) didn't live that far away from like where these where this liberation okay okay so it's almost like hey we found out that one of the hearse lives around the corner yeah Let's kidnap her, use the family's fortune like as a ransom. So she was abducted for 19 months and famously 19 months. Yeah. Wow. But famously there's that, that picture of her robbing a bank with them sometime later. Yes. Yes. After being kidnapped. Okay. And so, um, she interestingly became a part of the liberation army. Okay. But, um, so she was with them for 19 months and then she eventually got arrested um, and is on trial and stuff for crimes and eventually doesn't like she's sentenced to like a long time and then it was taken down to like seven years and then eventually she was let out and by, she like, didn't Jimmy serve Carter, any time and then like Bill Clinton like pardoned her at some time later. Okay. Um, that, that seems so weird that someone who has access to a lot of money could serve less and time has in a lot prison. of political influence. <coughs> that actually does sound like a situation where maybe like if there, there might be like a, a, a Stockholm syndrome situation well, going on. So yeah, well that's the interesting part about, I just had to make a jab at those old billionaires. Yeah. That's the interesting thing about the, the trial. Cause uh-huh. it's like what angle are they going to take? Cause like her first lawyer was like, don't talk to any psychiatrists. Like very much like we're not gonna like try and diagnose you with anything. Mm-hmm. We're just like you were a hostage. Then she gets another lawyer, um, who is like goes really deep into you were brainwashed. We're gonna get this expert to study you for hours yeah. to prove that you were brainwashed this whole time, and that's why. And this person who did spend this time with her to, and like studied her determined that she had to have been brainwashed, and she made these decisions, of course, because of these things that were happening. Yeah while she was abducted for her to make these decisions and believe in their ideologies and stuff. Um, but so, so it's a, it's a very interesting case. Uh, Don't understand just, how it makes like, sense to the movie. I, I just am, you're talking about trials and stuff and I'm imagining her, uh, trying to plead to the courts and the whole time, because we just watched dungeons and dragons, she, she just keeps going like, yeah, this is I'm I'm happy to tell a story, but is Jonathan gonna be here anytime? <laughs> because I really think Jonathan would get the story more than anyone else. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the case. That's like the absolute nutshell. Okay. Of it. Well, I think like these these people, the 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 like big bad guys in this movie are kind of based on like those people liberation fronts that were like happening in the seventies. That's my, that was my biggest issue with this movie. Ra- other than the, the women inspector yeah. inspector stuff. I mean, that's a pretty big issue, but story wise, my, my biggest issue was I never quite understood what was happening with them. Yeah. Well, one thing I noted is there was never a scene of, of motive for them. No, really? No. There was never this moment where they were like, you know what? Like this city is so corrupt and we're tired of like paying our taxes to fund corruption. So we're going to do something about it. They were just like, hey, people liberation front. Let's free the people. 
Yeah. And I, I don't even know if they went that far. I don't know. I don't know either. They all of them really if like they're all their demographic too felt like a comic book bad guy group. Yeah, it was it it didn't it didn't make sense and therefore the, like I think on that basis alone this is easily the weakest so far. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it doesn't even have like a classic line in this one. No. Yeah, it was. I, I it, didn't it's understand. Like, it's like ninety minutes. It felt like two twenty. Man, it felt long. It felt long. I know. And and when, once yeah. it like got to the end, to that because it ends on Alcatraz, and it's like it didn't quite feel like we were at the end. No, it was very weird. It was like, oh, okay, it's over, I guess. Yeah. And I was like, thank goodness, because I don't think this is a good movie. Maybe don't but. take the script of two people fresh out of film school who just drop it off at your restaurant. Well, but here's the thing. They reworked it a lot. I I, I'm not sure that they were the problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't. I'm not sure anyone was really the problem. It's maybe just the amalgamation of it all. Just yeah. didn't turn into anything good. Yeah. So, I guess I would be interested in their original script to understand the Patty Hearst situation. Yeah. Um, because it sounds like they're just more. They were more maybe inspired by the Liberation Army and not the Patty Hearst situation. Yeah, but when I was reading, it said the Patty Hearst kidnapping. No one was kidnapped. Yeah, were the women in the group kidnapped? No, not not that. It, and if they were, really not clear. Okay, no, yeah. I mean they weren't because like the early on in the movie, like first act, sec, beginning of second act, yeah. um, Mickey, the blonde girl, is yeah. killed, and they find out her identity, which is so confusing because I was like, I thought Mickey was a mouse. <laughs> And they find out that she um, was a sex worker, so that that brings Clint Eastwood down a rabbit hole of like going to like a brothel and trying to find information. Oh my out. gosh, I forgot about that scene. <laughs> and like, but but that didn't make it seem like she was brainwashed and taken out of that life or put into that life. Or I really, it just was so unclear because it almost was just too rushed. Yeah, which makes me feel like. Eastwood telling people like punch up the action either maybe it was like two in the weeds and he's like come on people are going to get bored by this or he was like underestimate like overestimating underestimating the audience and yeah. like and overestimating that they would understand it yeah by the way I saw this quote by uh uh Roger Ebert today uh which is great um because right now there's a lot of people talking about how long Killers of the Flower Moon is. Martin Scorsese's uh -huh. next movie which has clocked in at a runtime of 3 hours and 54 minutes. Awesome. And people are like freaking out, you know. And some people are saying I can't wait like me. Uh -huh. And other people and like you and other people are like no movie should ever be that long. Uh-huh. And Roger Ebert has You don't have to see the movie. The perfect quote about it where he says no great movie is too long. And no bad movie is too short. <laughs> yeah, that's good. and that's such a great quote because it is true. Like Avatar: The Way of Water, I watched that movie, or even John Wick. I watched that movie, and that movie, I could swear, if I didn't know the time, I would say it's shorter than this movie. Sure, both of those yes. movies because I am just loving it. When does the um, Scorsese movie come out? Well, I think it premieres at Con. It definitely premieres at Con. So we're not getting it for like a year. And and I think that will set it up to be in the fall slash winter awards cycle. Okay. So yeah, I I just want you to be prepared as a new parent, Micah, uh -huh. that we will not be able to see that movie in theaters. Oh, damn! There it. is just absolutely no way. 
we I think we could, but here's what I'll uh, here's what I'll say. I think it'd have to be like, okay, I'm gonna go see it, and then like the next day you can go see it. Like we couldn't see it together. I don't think. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm already stressed trying to plan that. Well, and, and we can always recording. I still got a couple months to go in this pregnancy. <laughs> and and you know we can always not see it. That is an option because our yeah. child is much more important. Well, yeah. Um, but. I think it's important as a parent to know about <laughs> Killers of the Flower Moon. <laughs> well, it's just what are we going to tell our kid? <laughs> she's going to, you know, be speaking pretty soon, I'm sure, right? After like a month. And she's going to be like, okay, I'm a Martin Scorsese head just like you two. I, from the womb, you guys were watching Goodfellas, and I was like ready to go. I'm, I'm ready. I, she's going to say, ever since I was little, I wanted to be a gangster. <laughs> <laughs> and so she's going to want us to know, you know, at what age we can show her Killers of the Flower Moon, a movie that will inevitably be, you know, one of Martin Scorsese's best movies ever made. Mm-hmm. So, um, which simply means he made it. Um, I can't wait to see that movie. I know. I'm pretty <sighs> excited for it. Man, that would probably be the one I would see if I had to only see one movie, which is crazy because Oppenheimer is going to be amazing. Barbie is going to be amazing. I know. David Fincher's coming out with a movie. Freaking uh, Ridley Scott's coming out with the Napoleon movie. Well. I think that'll be crazy. I don't know. Let's get into some actors. Uh, who else Ertine is? Ertine <laughs> Daly. Don't yeah. know how to pronounce it. She is in <laughs> Spider-Man Homecoming. Really? She's Anne-Marie Hogue. Don't, don't remember who that I is. I bet. I'm guessing that that is the woman that gets webbed up by her car. Webbed up by her car? Yeah, when when he's when it's a montage of him yeah. uh, saving the neighborhood and he webs someone up and she. Oh no, that's a guy. I forgot. Can you look up who she is. Yeah, but remember remember that scene though where he webs up a guy and the guy's like, "I was getting into my <laughs> own car," yeah. and he's like, "Sorry, it'll dissolve in an hour," and he's like, "I had to go to work." Yeah. It's Hogue H O A G. H-O-A-G. She is also the titular Lacey in Cagney and Lacey. She's also in Judging Amy, Mom, Madam Secretary, Grey's Anatomy, Oh, blah, blah, blah. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> what? Cool. Yeah, so she's this person. She is the head of damage control. So I think she's the one that comes in and is like, hey, Vulture, you know, right after the attack on the Battle of New York, Shield is taking all of this stuff. And he's oh. like, What? And she's like, Yeah, sorry. She looks so different. Looks way different. It's Good like for she's her. aged. Um Bradford <laughs> Dillman. Um, uh Dill Burton, it's a comic. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> um Bradford Dillman plays the chief with the guy with the mustache. Oh yeah. Um he is also in hold on. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Escape I'm sorry, from Jordan. The Planet oh. of the Apes. Oh. Shut it. Compulsion. <laughs> Piranha, but like the old 70s Piranha. Okay, yeah. Um, cool poster. Um, Pop quiz. Who directed the sequel? Oh. Piranha 2. The Spawning. When did it come out? And it goes on to have one of the most illustrious careers when of all it, time. When did it come out? Yeah, I think in the 80s. Maybe, er, maybe early 80s, late 70s. Has maybe made more money as a director than any other filmmaker alive. Spielberg? No. Made more money as a director than anyone alive. Y- you're close. Do I like him? Lucas. No, you. yeah, you like him, but you're sometimes a little like, shut up, Micah, about him. What? It came out with a movie last year. 
Um, what was the movie? <laughs> <laughs> He's come out with consistently movies that defy what everyone thinks about them and go on to make lots of money every time. James Cameron. Yeah. Okay. That's his first movie. Wow. Piranha 2, not, yeah, yeah, not yeah. Piranha 1. Yeah. And then he's also in Murder, She Wrote, <laughs> The Heart of Justice, so on and so forth. Um, we, we died, didn't we? <laughs> I did, surely. Um, I don't think we covered him in the last movie, but he's been in all three of them, and he yeah. plays a more significant role in this one. John Mitchum plays DiGiorgio, his... I don't know. It, he is his partner at the beginning of the movie, right? Yeah, he was, yeah. Um... He's also in Paint Your Wagon. Another High Plains Eastwood Strifter, movie. Hey, a family for Joe. We, we we definitely have spoken a lot of good on Clint Eastwood, but we've also, you know, pointed out, like, this is a point in his career where he's kind of maybe getting a little too big for his britches. Yeah. But judging by how these movies turned out and, and the creative decisions. But the man works with people over and over and over. So he must, you know, I, that always to me feels like you can't be that, much of a jerk if you if you got these people working with you all the time yeah yeah, yeah. um Devran book walter plays one of the leaders of the gang yeah um he's also in the omega man um gotta watch that richard to, richard two richard the second <laughs> uh the tragedy of othello i never saw richard one me neither i've always regretted that um and then I mean, I think I'm just going to stop there. Oh, no, let's cover this guy. Mustafa. Oh, yeah. Albert Popwell plays him. Um, Great last name. I'd he, kill for that last name. Oh, he was in Magnum Force. He was the pimp in Magnum Force. I thought oh, he was yeah, familiar. Oh, yeah, and he was the bank robber in the first movie. Oh. I, I, He's I'm also remembering in Sudden that Impact, I read that. so get ready to see him again. Not, that's that's kind of fun. That not they as keep, the same character, too. That, that was Mufasa, or Mustafa. Yeah. <laughs> keep thinking it's Mufasa because Me too. Of I thought they said that in the movie. <laughs> Lion King. Um, he's also in Probe, Scissors, <coughs> Deadly Embrace, <laughs> Wild at Heart. Now, Wild Magnum at Heart. Uh, here, here we go, Jordan. One more one more quick pop quiz for you. Who directed Wild at Heart? Um, don't look. I don't know. That's the one with Laura Dern, right? Well, now I have to look. Don't look at who directed it, though. If you can Yeah, I don't know it. who directed that. But it is the Laura Dern one? Uh, okay, here's a hint. We are a little confused about this person, and we're watching something that they creatively created. Huh? That's what do you that's mean? a little bit older and is done, but it's ongoing. Oh, it's a it's a um, David this? Lynch David Lynch movie. Yeah. Okay. So great. Pretty soon we're gonna have a report on Twin Peaks. Yeah. Actually, not probably once we're done with once once the. We're back from maternity leave. We'll be tell we'll be able to tell people. But we finally started Twin Peaks. Finally. And it and is boy, are we confused. It's confusing. But we're in. We are in. Yeah. Uh should we get in to the Enforcer? Uh-huh. Okay. So the movie starts out and we see this girl hitchhiking. And this guy pulls up and he's like, Where are you headed to, girl? And she's like, Nowhere with you, asshole. <laughs> um Actually, I don't think she says butthole. She says something else. doesn't matter. Um, and then she sees these two, like, delivery men. Uh-huh. And she's like, oh, my gosh, wouldn't you love to have a beer with me? Let me let's go out to the woods. And so they go. I don't go to the woods, but, yeah. They go, 
yeah, I'm thinking we're wanna gonna want to go to the woods with this gal. And so we don't go to the woods. Okay. <laughs> there were trees, and so so they go up. And and at first I I thought it was policemen as as you did as well. Men in uniform, at yeah. First, and they're out. It looks like they're like in the country. So, and so, <laughs> but it was like a FedEx kind of a thing. Um, and so I'm going to keep talking as you have a coughing attack. <laughs> uh, well, they say laughter is the best medicine, and you just had a good dose of it. So. Uh, girl hitchhikes and then, and then they stop at this like wooden cabin and uh, (laughs) what they're getting in some cold beers. One dude hangs outside to smoke a cigarette. And while he's out there, this dude wearing classic, like classic hot look, a tip for all men out there, Uh um, velvet vest, uh, no shirt on underneath. Yes. Yes. Small, tight jeans. Yes. Belt. Yes. Shotgun slung over the back. Uh-huh. Giant Bowie knife attached uh-huh. to the hip. <laughs> Very fluffy blonde hair. Now, this was a detail I kind of liked. So this guy winds up doing the majority, if not all, of the killing. Yeah. And he would come out, and it always start with, like, oh, he's got a gun. And then he'd get to the victim stab him every time yep. everybody he killed was a stab but it would it would kind of start out like oh he's gonna use a gun this time stab he did use a, the gun in this scene oh yeah he killed you're the right. second guy using the gun you know what i'm just gonna go to bed and you can finish up without me i made this mistake <laughs> and i have to atone for it okay so um so but he does use the knife on this guy first uses the shotgun and the other guy second uh, the shotgun the shotgun <laughs> and then we get the opening credits yeah and this, the this music felt like, f- feels different. It does. This felt like a classic opening to any cop show uh-huh, uh-huh, ever. Yeah, where we get our inciting incident. We get the we see the crime committed. Yep. By the perpetrator, or, or by and the it's criminal. like how's Columbo going to do it this time? Exactly. So it, it, this movie felt like a long <laughs> episode of TV. Yeah, which I th- kind of feel like a lot of like cop movies and stuff from this time do kind of feel that way. They're just run like, of the mill ones, just like more sure. violent, sure, because they couldn't show the violence on TV and they like concuss more, yeah, and show a random topless woman here and there, yeah. Um, although this one had a couple, one, had a little bit more than topless women, had a couple of uh, uh, birds <laughs> popping out of their nest. <laughs> <laughs> it was very, it was like so shocking, but not really, uh, just like, oh, yep, it's a 70s movie, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, I was surprised because I, I don't think I've, I mean, not to go off on a tangent about male genitalia, but <laughs> I have not seen a lot of movies that are like pre 90 slash 2000s that have penises. I feel like that's more of a now thing to happen. And even still, it's not that common. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I could be wrong. Yeah. But, um. Yeah, it feels, I, I mean, it's always been open season on female nudity, but uh, male nudity, not so much. So uh, it was kind of interesting watching this and being like, whoa, Clint Eastwood was willing to have a couple of wieners in this. Well, not only that, um, 
it, it also feels, <laughs> it, I don't know what we're talking about. Uh, it feels like it's, this is the seventies. I already asked that. Yeah. Well, um, and I'm marking this one explicit. Oh, um, I did say it's asshole. also like a reminder that it's a 70, 70s movie where you don't just get a topless girl. You get a comp- like a few completely naked women. Yeah, right, 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 right. Completely naked. And it's like not in a sexual way. I mean, I know what they were doing right, was right, right. Uh, very adult, but, um, it, it was just very much like that is a fact of what is happening right now. <laughs> Uh, I think I think uh, maybe a dentist like opened up a, a canister dentist. of laughing medicine in here. <laughs> laughing medicine. Uh, maybe the Joker came by and put something in our drinks. Uh, okay, then. So yeah, we get the opening credits with the new theme or score. Yeah, um, it's much jazzier as we had mentioned than the other two movies. Yeah, and then I it, liked it. Yeah, it's a good score. Um, and then it's also like in the the action scenes, it has more of a Hitchcock. Yeah, like Bernard. Um, I'm forgetting the last name, but but a little more of that like stabby, you know, um, violin kind of vibe. Here comes a sneeze from Jordan. Uh, <laughs> she's so loopy. You would think that you just took like cold medicine by the way you're acting right now. I know, but you didn't. Um, okay, so then Harry and his partner go to a restaurant where a man has faked a heart attack. Yes. And they go in there, and then Clint Eastwood starts kicking him, and he's like, get up, get up. Yeah. And then he takes the guy outside. And he's, and he's like, like, you got your free meal. And the guy's like, I always like riding in the ambulance, too, though. Now, here's what, what I thought. When that happened, I thought that was the grand intro back to Dirty Harry. And we were oh. going to get, like, an action scene, and I was like, uh-oh, because that's a pretty lame way to bring your character back, who is someone who famously puts a forty-four Magnum in people's faces and asks them if they feel lucky. Uh-huh. But then the next scene, we get like, Oh, it is that, that guy sequence. that he, in the first movie, who he asks if yeah. he feels lucky. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm just seeing his face now. Um, And so I'm thinking this is going to be lame at this point. Yeah. But then there's a hostage situation at the liquor store. Yeah. And uh, and then this is happens what you were just describing. He does the thing, right? Right. So the they they have these hostages and they're like, we need a car and we want to get out of here and we want money or whatever. And he's like, okay, you want a car? I'll get you a car. And he grabs his car, s- spins it out, um, does donuts and stuff, and then drives into the liquor store. Uh huh. Gets out and shoots all of them, mm-hmm. and he's like. There's they your car. got their car. Somehow he didn't kill the hostages that were right next to them. <laughs> yeah, it's wild. And then, but then the next scene is him in the chief's office with the lieutenant, uh-huh. and the chief is like, "You caused over fourteen thousand dollars worth of damage. You can't do that." So I was like, "Okay, I'm glad that they're getting on his butt about this." Yeah, because um, that is just straight up ridiculous. Right. Um, well, I think like in the first two movies we talked a lot about like the politics of these movies uh-huh. because they do sort of, if you view them a certain way, they could advocate for police violence and police brutality. But then at the same time, it's like, well, these are just fictional movies who cares. But then sometimes the politics are, are pretty muddy. Yeah. Uh, but there's like, there's like at least a conversation in those two movies where you can kind of argue both ways. Sure. And it's kind of an interesting thing in this movie. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah we don't care anymore. We're not interested yeah. in that element. We we don't really care. Dirty Harry just kills uh, the bad guys or people he 
they, you know, he didn't learn any lessons from the previous two movies. Yeah. Like, the last movie was the whole thing where he's like, we can't be judge, jury, and executioner. And then in this movie, he's like, yeah, I'm just going to drive into the liquor store and shoot these guys. Yeah. You know? It's yeah. like, on a politics level, these movies don't work at all. <laughs> Which, <laughs> really? in a way, I actually think um, hurts. Well, there is some politics stuff. There is stuff in this movie, but it's more with the the woman inspector. Right. Um. um well, yeah, because... So he gets on his butt about how much damage he's caused, which it just reminds me. It's like whenever they kind of bring that up in like superhero movies, it's kind of like, it's nice that they bring that up. Every like, well, in our right. f- like first or second phase of Marvel, that was a big component. And it's yeah. like, thank you for addressing this. Right. <coughs> but the, um, th- this, this also like the way the, th- this movie made me think like, oh, this is, this is like, these are the types of movies. Well, I mean, I knew this, but like rewatching and seeing this kind of stuff, it, it's reminding me of like the last action hero. Yeah. And like when they're spoofing all this stuff and like Arnold Schwarzenegger goes in after a big hostage mission or whatever. And then his chief is yelling at him and is yelling so loud. It like breaks all the glass in the office and stuff. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, you know, even though this movie's flawed and it's not very enjoyable, it's like, it gets us to like the spoofs that I really like. Sure. sure yeah. Um, and even like Twenty One Jump Street, yeah, of course. You know where where you're like the cops went too far and stuff, and the chief has to chew them out. It's like that's a classic sequence that so, has to be in him. He gets in trouble for this, and he's taken off homicide yet again. Uh-huh. Every Dirty Harry movie has to start with him being taken off homicide. He's transferred to personnel, and yeah. he says, "Personnel, that's for assholes." And the chief's like, "I was from personnel," and then he's I like, was in personnel for ten years. Oh, you know, he looks at me, and says. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing Keanu Reeves right now for some reason. Um and then I I have this note. So then he's at personnel and they're they're trying out candidates. They're like talking to them, them, interviewing them. Giving them like hypothetical scenarios and based on your education uh-huh. and experience. These people are wanting to become inspectors. Right. So based on all these your experience and stuff, you have to solve this hypothetical situation and yeah. So then someone walks in the door and it's a woman and and Clint Eastwood's like, oh my Well, there's some discussion about it before that happens because there's that lady there sitting in on these personnel meetings. Uh Um she is representing the mayor's office. Yeah. And she lets him know that there is going to be a focus on bringing women in as inspectors in the police force. Right. To which he is immediately not for. Yeah. And, and he's like, well, that sounds stylish. And (laughs) all of this stuff, it just like reverberates in my ears in a way, like, because this is also like, you still hear this stuff today. Like, like whenever, Whenever a woman is cast as a lead role in anything, the internet's like, oh, sure. Now it's a political movie. I hate this now. Uh-huh. And you're like, I don't know, dude. Maybe just calm down. Uh-huh. Like, it, it's been unequal for so long. It's fine. Uh-huh. Just cool your jets, man. And That being said, with a movie like this, yeah. this is not how you should do it. <laughs> no, I... Bring, bring in your... I, I think yeah. this movie is takes an anti feminism stance absolutely <laughs> i i do not think this is but a, i think that they think that they're being progressive this is the thing it 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 absolutely i think that they patted themselves on the back when they finished yeah. this movie and they thought like wow what a progressive message we just sent yeah and you watch it and you're like this is crap 
So yeah, this lady lets him know that the ma- the mayor is emphasizing like wants to focus on bringing women onto the force. At least like three women, or they're interviewing three women. So our woman come her woman comes in. Kate Moore is the character to be um, questioned, and she has been like at the desk. She's been on the police force for a while, but she's been at the desk for a long time. So she has no like streets experiment experience as a cop. Now this is when I get it. Because Clint Eastwood does say, like, why should she get it when there's there's guys who've been on the streets for ten or fifteen years? But then I get what she's saying based on like the society that we live in, where yeah. she I think at one point she's like, Well, how am I to ever attain this type right. of role? Like if you won't even give me experience because they right. won't put women out on the street. And that's that's the whole thing, like that that like Amer- a lot of Americans can't understand about like people who are in like marginalized groups of people uh-huh. where they're like, well, everything's equal now, so what does it matter? And it's like, yeah, but you come from like like everything. When you start been- talking about the systemic stuff, people's like a, a lot of people's eyes glaze yeah. over and they are stop listening. Yeah, because they're like, no, it's equal now, and it's fine. Uh-huh. And my parents didn't have the best time in life either. And it's like, yeah, but that's a little different from, like, not being allowed to vote. Uh-huh. You know? So, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's uh, it's tough. Tough tough world to live in, tough country to live in. So he grills her like crazy. Yeah. And it's clear that she knows her stuff. She knows her stuff. Um, But he is also clearly way too biased to be a part of this panel. Yeah. And he... It doesn't go well for her. Now, see, I feel like now it comes off to a to a tough start because we're always on Harry's side. He's the protagonist. But I do feel like if they didn't like fall in love in the movie, it'd be it, you would have a better chance at this mo- movie having a at least somewhat of a clearer message and a better message. Didn't they like kiss? No. Am I misremembering? I think there was like some. Um... There was chemistry for sure, but she died, so they could never get oh, to the love story. True. Okay, so maybe I'm wrong. That's, I was expecting that the whole time. That's twice I'm wrong. I guess I got to hang up my hat. I got but, but, but I got to put my pop whole, filter and headphones away. His whole viewpoint is basically, without him ever saying it, is like, how are we supposed to protect women if we're going to make them cops? <laughs> right, it's kind right. of his yeah, whole yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. And it's like... I really don't know how to answer that question for you. So what happens after this scene? So then uh, the bad guys steal stuff from the police supply. They break in. They steal a bazooka. They kill the guy who's in charge of watching it. Yeah, Stanley. And yes. um, then uh, uh, Harry's ex-partner now, because he's on personnel, comes in and tries to stop them. But then he gets stabbed by Mr. Stabby. I thought he got shot. I thought he got stabbed. I thought he did a shootout, and he he shot Mickey, and and, and yeah. he got shot. And then he's laying there dead, and the bad guys are like, we got to go, we got to go. And one of the dudes is like, we can't leave Mickey. She's still alive. And that the leader of the group comes up to her and is like, look, it, she's dead. Bang, 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 which yeah. is pretty much, which was like, well, that's kind of ruthless. Yeah, that, kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Uh-huh. Um, and then they leave her dead there. And... DiGiorgio yeah. is still alive, taken to the hospital. And so then uh, Harry gets to the hospital, and he's like, oh, my gosh. My partner's going to die. This sucks. 
and he looks at him, and then the partner. I do like this touch. I thought this was kind of interesting, where he's like, "Get Nancy, his wife," yeah. and then he he like knows he's about to die. Yeah, that was kind of nice. Uh-huh. And then he Harry gets out, and he's get like, some, "Get some information." Yeah, and then he has to be partners with a. Well, he's put back on homicide. With a girl, not just any girl, the, the Kate Moore. Yeah, and and yeah, this is when I wrote. I bet the writers and director thought they were being so progressive. Uh, now, what is an inspector? That's a detective. They're detectives. Okay, that's it. I I would like to know, and I didn't look this up. <laughs> and probably should have, just out of curiosity. Um, so they're detectives, which means they're plain clothes, uh, yeah. don't wear uniform, cops. Um, and. I, I just am like, I just have it. I find it hard to believe that in the seventies, sh- sure. They're like probably slim to none women detectives at this time mm-hmm. as the movie even posits. Yeah. And you're telling me that you're getting like this woman becomes an inspector and she's going to continue to wear skirts and heels and carry around a purse. She doesn't time. wear heels. Okay. But she's wearing like wedges. Yeah. They're not, they're not, Flat shoes. It's pronounced wedgies, and that's an underwear thing. <laughs> but she carries a purse like the whole time. Yeah, and it's just it's just it's just wild to me. It's <laughs> yeah. wild to me. Yeah, it's such a bad idea. Uh huh. There, there's like a 15 minute chase scene, and she's carrying her purse the whole time. <laughs> to which she's like running around, and and she just will like look up and see where the chase is happening because it's on buildings and stuff, and she's like, <sighs> and then yeah. she'll keep on running. <laughs> um. Yeah, and and yeah, that's this is the point where uh, I I quoted you saying, "Don't carry a purse." <laughs> yeah. Um. So then you they don't need it. Wear things with pockets. <laughs> they get to the coroners, and Clint's like, "You should wait outside." And she's like, "Don't worry about me." She says, "Don't concern yourself with me," which is she says several times throughout the movie now. But yeah. She will. Yeah, which is her big payoff. Uh huh. So it is the autopsy of a person. Uh, I can't remember who. And she gets squeamish because she's a woman. <laughs> All those emotions and stuff. So she, she can't handle she it. She can't handle the heat. She gets out of the kitchen. <laughs> and then this bomb goes off. And they're like, what the he- what the heck is going on here? They go into the bathroom where the bomb went. And they go, what happened? Bomb went off. But there's kids in the building. And then they immediately find the kids. Kids are all accounted for. And that's fine. resolved immediately. They find the per- their suspect. Who was this dude who we, as we know, is part of that bad guy group. Yeah. Um, so they start chasing him. He throws his briefcase in a he dumpster. Was, I didn't, he was part yeah. of the... Yeah. I did not put that together. <laughs> yeah. Um, has a briefcase, throws it in a dumpster as he's running away. Uh-huh. She grabs the briefcase but continues the chase with Clint. This is a very long chase scene. Like, very long. And it... Yeah. It, it was too long. It was too long. It got to a point where they 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 break in through a window where they're shooting a pornographic film. Uh huh. And that's where we see um, stuff. The little swallows peeking out of their nest. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, see, pre pre being a, a dad, I can talk like this, but post being a dad, I'll probably call them peepers. So. <laughs> uh, and so, anyway, I'm really, I'm trying to give people a show and let them know, if, if this is only half the fun. You got to go to patreon.com slash and sign up for uh, our extra episodes a month. And this month, we're covering Zodiac, one of the best movies made in the last 20 a years. A movie famously with no peepers. 
No peepers, famously. Um, but infamously, three. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and you, you should sign up. We got to get to 50 by the end of the year so we can launch our second extra podcast where we will cover all the Pixar movies. And guess what? We have a child now, so come on. Help us feed her. <laughs> <laughs> we need those sympathy uh, and it's less than, I mean, it's less than a cup of coffee, seriously. Yeah. Co- co- coffee's $4 a cup now. So it's $3. All right. So check this out. Here's what happens next. They they break through the porn suit, suit shoot, and then they, they keep running, and the music has to change cues because it's been so long. Uh-huh. This yeah, just feels does, like they're padding man. the runtime. Yeah. And then, well, you were the one who said that, so you don't have to pretend like that was my No, idea. I just forgot. And then they they keep running, and they eventually get the guy, and they find out in the briefcase was a bomb. Mm-hmm. To which she's like, "Whoa, I was carrying that around." I kind of like how she kind of was like, "Oh, yikes!" Yeah. And then the chief is like, "You know what? This is the equivalent to this world's Black Panther party." Does he say that simply because he wants to crack down on that group of people, and this guy was black that they arrested? I think so. Yeah. Okay. But you know, famously, police have never racially p- profiled, so. Uh, you know, that does, that's not, uh, yeah, I, I was trying to make a joke. No, I know you are. Uh, I'm just letting you make it. <laughs> but I kind of dug myself into a hole. Couldn't, couldn't get the total through line. I mean, they are doing that though. Um, yeah. So which is something that happens often. They, so Clint and Kate. Anti, anti profiling me. Yeah. <laughs> Clint and Kate go to the, some headquarters of these group of yeah. these dudes to meet with Mustafa. Uh, Mufasa and which one is Mufasa the monkey yeah Mufasa the monkey oh <laughs> I'm so sorry I'm I, my brains I just remembered we had um like a Sion's joke song when we'd warm up called Mufasa the monkey and sometimes we would warm up and sing this song uh because we had this wind chime that was a monkey Sean did what? and we called it Mufasa and so sometimes we would warm up and go, Mufasa the monkey, and we'd sing like that before we started practice. That's very sweet. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta find that. Anyway, um, Clint goes to talk to Mustafa in the back of his office, and they're both like, I'll help you if you do this for me, back and forth. Yeah. Because I think the, the guy the guy has some of his men that are in prison, and he's like, if you help like get them out. Yeah. Because they're in for, like, dumb reasons. Um, I'll help you get more information about this group because he seems to know about some of these people, like this group or something. But it is, they're not associated with him. I don't think so. Um, so then they're just they're in agreement on that. Clint leaves with his partner, and she's left in the front room with all of these men. Uh-huh. And she's, like, re- reciting the law to them. Like, if any of you guys touch me, this is going to happen. If, and if you have an intent to do anything, this will happen. Yeah. So she's standing her ground. And then Clint makes fun of her for it. And then they leave. And immediately the police show up yeah. to this hideout and arrest this group of this group. Yeah. And then the mayor's like, hey, let's say that the woman arrested him. Right. And Harry, so that we can show how good... Women are on the police force. Yeah, how good this task force is working and this this initiative. And cool then, set. Yeah, I'm assuming that's like the their courthouse or yeah. government buildings. Very cool looking. Yeah. Um. And so, and then and then this is a great scene. This this is the best scene in the movie. Easy. 
uh, cause Harry's like, he's like, if you want to jerk off these people, don't do it with me. <laughs> and then the guy's like, what'd you say? And he says here, he takes his badge and yeah. hands it to the chief and said, here's a seven point suppository. And the guy says, what did you say to me? And he goes, I said, stick it up your ass. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty great. Line. And he walks away. And then also she walks away. Uh huh. So he left the force. The the mayor's walking down to the podium where all the press is, and he's about to go on the air to give yeah. his commendation. And he's like, I guess I'm going to go. I guess I'm going to go jerk him off. <laughs> like, yeah. He has nothing. Like, he has to just BS his way through this. Th- that's when I was like, okay, like, that's something. Like, that. <laughs> there's something there. Yeah. But the movie just fails to deliver on any of that. Yeah. Um, but that's a great scene. So he quits the police force, but she's still on it. So she's like, tell me what I can do to help you. I can give you files and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, They're walking. I don't know. I'm not familiar with San Francisco, but they're walking in San Francisco. And he's like, do you want to get a beer? A couple beers because they're still talking about the case. Mm. They're talking about it more. I can't remember the details. But then she starts bringing up things about the case. And she's just like time and time again proving that she... <laughs> knows what she's doing right and is a good cop and he's like do you want to go get a couple of beers so she she like convinces him like that she can handle this job i guess so i can't remember the specifics they talk about right yeah i i don't either uh but but then the next thing that happens is the mayor's at a baseball game okay and the the we did our- skip the brothel situation but i don't oh really remember what no no that's me. actually after the baseball oh game. okay uh so baseball game, mayor kidnapped army bad guys. <laughs> yeah, so he's kidnapped by the the bad guys. Yeah, and Clint is uh, continues to investigate, mm-hmm. and is his investigation takes him to this brothel. Yeah, where there's another woman in this group, and I think it's her who's from this brothel or something, and he's gonna go there to try and see her, and he's trying to find a specific person. Yeah. And then, and it's the person who's in the, the little liberation army. That's what I said. Oh, sorry. And then this was just kind of weird. Very confused by how this worked. Because Let's he paints. Break it down he, okay, for a second. Okay, please. So he goes to the, the, the lady. What are, what is she called? Like, what are they called? Like the maidens or the mage? I don't remember the language. Yeah. Um, but she runs the thing. Yeah. And he's like, I'm looking for Wendy specifically. I want yeah her to service me. And this is a massage parlor. Yeah. And, um, the woman says it's $75, which is a pretty steep price. Yeah. Um, and she said, she's kind of explaining how it goes. You know, it's a, it's a massage, but also like, you'll learn like 32 32. different lovemaking positions. Yeah. And so he has to pay $75. He's taken to a room and in this room is a, um, blow up dummy. Or a sex doll. A sex doll. Sorry, yeah. that's what it is. And it's like, he just paid $75 to have sex with a sex doll? Yeah. And then this woman comes in, who I think is... Well, well she is. She's the one who will service him. Uh-huh. But it's like, okay, I don't understand how this is Well, I think, I think she was... I think it's basically like he paid for a coaching session. Oh. Was, I think, I think the idea... Um. So it's like she's going to be like, okay, now get in this position. Doesn't that feel good? That's one. Okay, now get in this position. That's two. Now get in this position. That's three. Okay. Yeah. It's weird. It was very weird. Yeah, I I, I didn't like it. No, me neither. But he... <laughs> Have you noticed that there is a sex doll on the street over there? Where? 
I'm pretty sure it's a sex doll. Oh, I can't tell if that's like paper mache in someone's art at someone's art project that they leave on the porch. Oh, I think it is because they've had other art projects. Yeah. But from a distance, it looks like a sex doll. It, yeah, it looks uh, weird. Yeah, I'm always very. But I'm not. I'm not convinced that it is. Yeah, you know what? You're right. It's an art project. Or Plus you're saying you're not convinced it's an art. I'm project. not convinced that it's a sex doll. Yeah. Um. No, they'd probably have. Someone would have like called the police or something. Like complained about it. Yeah, or not the police, but you know, like they would have called somebody and complained. Yeah. I apologize if you're an artist that listens to our podcast and has that on your porch. Let's move past it, Micah. So <laughs> the woman that comes in the room wrangle is not, me in, Jordan. Is, wrangle me is in. It's not Wendy, not the woman he's looking for. So he demands to go to like the boss of this whole thing. Uh huh. Goes to this guy, um, and starts interrogating Dirty's dirties. <laughs> <laughs> Dirty Harry's method of interrogating, which is just beating up this man into submission. Uh huh. To get him to te- give him more information on where to go and what to do. Yeah. Which I don't remember what he says, but he gives him the info. Yeah. Who did he, who, what, what did he get that? <laughs> he goes to like the boss of this, of this like brothel. That's right. And th- this was an interesting touch where I was like, now this is the movie I want to see. Because in this brothel, they have all of these old women working. Oh yeah. I forgot about that. That are writing letters that are basically like. My friend and I had fun in a cabin one time in our underwear. Send money and I'll send you the VHS. And then, so it's like, it's like a scam letter. And all these women, older women are writing the letter and kissing. Like they have all, they're all applying lipstick constantly to kiss the letters. And I'm like, open up the old women averse. (laughs) You know, like this is, this is like the new John Wick world. I don't need that. But. Um, I'm I'm really unhinged on this episode. I'm, yeah, I'm, you are. I'm having fun. Um, so then goes to brothel after Mustafa gives him a lead. Old ladies kissing envelopes to sell tape, and then I re- oh yeah, then he goes to the the father at the Catholic church that he had run into during the chase. Yeah, and he says, "Remember me, father." When he's giving communion, he he waited in line for communion. By I the way, that was funny. <laughs> and then the nun comes out to kill him, and he kills the nun. No, Kate Moore kills the the nun, the yes, woman inspector. That's right. And then they just go to Alcatraz. Yeah. And they have a a fight there with all the bad the remaining bad bad guys. To which, when they're shooting out there, because it looked like they were out there. Um, Clint Eastwood's like, I wonder if I should make a movie adapting the escape attempt. And he did. Um, yeah, and, and this is when I wrote, didn't really get into the why of this group. No fat cat speech or society speech. They just didn't. And then they, they kill them all. They just kidnapped the mayor for ransom? Yeah. And he gets the mayor back, and then Kate gets shot. And she does say, don't concern yourself, Harry, and dies. Mm-hmm. And another partner dies of his. And then at the end of the movie, he's like, no, 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 the movie ends like right after that. But but like he has this like look on his face of like, and this is why I didn't want women on the police force. Because now they're going to die. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's, huh? <laughs> <laughs> if you he truly looked, he truly looked like, like that's why he was so mad about all of this. <laughs> if you uh, are a, a woman police officer and had big qualms with this movie. Feel free to call our hotline, which is Ha Ha La Impu 
uh, <laughs> which you can call and and let us know what you think about that. Okay. <laughs> That's a freedom joke for all of you freedom it's heads out there. Also a real there. number if someone actually called <laughs> it. I, yeah, but you will be speaking to three comedians, <laughs> not us. Um, and then they might be annoyed at our podcast and never guest on it. So actually don't do that. Yeah. But we'd love to have you on, Lauren, and we'd love to have you on, Paul, and we'd love to have you on, Scott. Uh, potentially the most unhinged I've ever been on one of our podcasts. Yeah, you didn't really like this movie at all. I mean, no, I, I, didn't. I didn't either. I didn't. I, I thought it was bad. Yeah. Um, and I think we're going to have to watch 22 Jump Street and maybe another movie before I'm ready to watch Sudden Impact. Wow. Wow. You were not enjoying this. Not really. <laughs> it's nice to fill in the blind spot. Um, but I, I like, I know I did like the first two. I just can't imagine that the next two are going to be good. Oh, me neither. You know what I mean? Especially um, if the ratings are going down with each one. Yeah. Uh, it's like, it's like each one, they're just becoming a little bit, a little bit more comfortable in their, where they're at. Well, and, and you know, something about action and comedy, whenever you turn on a comedy movie from the seventies or the eighties and same with action, there's like a level of you have to kind of pretend you're in the that time period. Uh-huh. So it's like it it's honestly a little bit hard to sit through a Dirty Harry movie when John Wick 4 is playing in theaters. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Because it's like, well, Dirty Harry isn't a great movie in the way like The French Connection is. Uh-huh. So it's kind of a run-of-the-mill action movie detective story. So if I'm going to watch that, like I kind of want to watch like the best of that. Uh-huh. But having said that, I mean, I'm glad I wa- I'm glad I watched it, and it's fun to watch Clint Eastwood. And I, I, it is annoying to me when people don't watch old movies. So I'm not advocating for not watching them. But this is like by no means a timeless movie, so no. it's a little bit tough to watch. Yeah, it's not like Twelve Angry Men or something where it doesn't matter what time period you can turn it on. And okay. not every movie should be timeless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. It just was boring, and it kind of felt like it kind of felt like. Hey, let's make another Dirty Harry movie with no, um, nothing that makes it unique from the previous two. Well, Dirty it just Harrys. sucks because the first two, the bad guy motivations are pretty dang interesting. So uh-huh. this uh-huh. one, I couldn't even figure out what was happening with them. And anytime it got back to them, I was like, oh gosh, right? Can we just right. get back to Dirty Harry. Um, so I just hope the next two, at least the bad guy stuff, is good. Well, there is something wild about the the. I don't know if you heard my dad say who the villain of villain is of the last movie. I don't remember what he said. But it's a really, really famous actor. Cool. Do you want me to tell you who it is or no? No. Okay. I don't remember. Like crazy famous. Okay. Yeah. Household name famous. Like is it still alive? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Woman, um, right? Man. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, actually, we mentioned him on this podcast earlier. So he's the villain of the last movie. So at the very least, that'll be interesting because I think that's pre him. That's him still like, he would not have been a household name at that oh, time. Oh, cool, cool, cool. You know, so anyway, thank you for listening. Mm-hmm. Thank I, you. I hope you enjoyed the insanity. And sorry, Dad, that I didn't like the movie. I think he's crying. <laughs> <laughs> so next week, it is the inimitable, the informidable, the incredible, the indescribable sudden impact. Yeah.